0: Hello, and welcome to the Gestalt IT Rundown for June 22nd, 2022. Uh, That's a lot of twos for the second day after the summer solstice, or is it the first? I can't count because my name is Tom Hollingsworth, and uh, I am fresh off of a week at Cisco Live, and uh, there's a lot of stuff uh, rattling around in my brain that we're going to be talking about this week. However, Stephen Foskett is out this week doing his own little cloud-focused event, So joining me is my friend, Chris Grundeman. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Tom. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, You should definitely enjoy having an onion ring today because it is National Onion Ring Day. Um, So if you were thinking about tater tots or french fries, that's not the way to go. You need to have some of the the delectable uh, vegetable that's been deep fried because that's how we do it here in the South. Um, Some other things that are exciting and tasty are the lineup of stories that we've got coming up. Uh, This week, we're talking about some cool announcements, and uh, we're going to dive into a little bit of some of the conference stuff that's been happening for the last couple of weeks. Uh, We are going to start off with a friend of the show, NVIDIA, because this week they have announced that they are becoming a founding member of a new Linux Foundation project that's designed to foster networking software APIs. Now, the project is called the Open Programmable Infrastructure, which is about the most boring name that you can imagine. We're just going to call it OPI. OPI is tasked with creating standards-based solutions for data processing units, which you may know as DPUs, unless you work for Intel, in which case you call them IPUs. But anyway, we'll call them DPUs. Now, you may know that NVIDIA has been building a lot of DPU-based solutions for a while since they acquired Mellanox, and they have their own version of a programming architecture. Um, Much like CUDA for the uh, graphics processors, this one's called DOCA, D-O-C-A. Doka has been widely available and they are going to more openly license Doka to people who want to use it as their development platform for DPUs going forward through the OPI project. The ultimate goal is to create more adoption of DPUs in the industry. And hey, that would benefit NVIDIA since they sell one of the leading ones in the Bluefield technology platform. Uh, Chris is fostering a new Linux foundation project to increase adoption of their programming API infrastructure, a bold move?
1: Uh, I don't know if I'd go as far as to call it a a bold move. I think it's a smart move. And I think it is a a move that's going to benefit the industry as a whole. Um, But as you said, right, Doka is this SDK and runtime environment specifically for the Bluefield DPU. Uh, But a lot of what it provides is uh, industry standard open APIs and frameworks, right? So things like DPDK for the data plane, SPDK for the storage plane, Open vSwitch, OpenSSL. Uh, a, a lot of these things are already open, uh, open source and open license and publicly available APIs. And, and Doka is really a wrapper for a lot of this that brings it together. Um, however, that wrapper, I think, is the key to running hundreds or, or thousands of DPUs across a, a given data center. And so I think what we're seeing here is a little bit of NVIDIA playing out of Intel's, Intel's uh, playbook. Which is, you know, taking this stuff out to the public, creating the software that enables the hardware, uh, and then making it as open and easy to use as possible. And so, you know, as you mentioned, right, the news here is that NVIDIA now has become a founding member of the Linux Foundation's Open Programmable Infrastructure Project uh, as of yesterday, right? Which is really, really cool. Uh, and they are contributing DoCA as as kind of a framework there. Now, again, these APIs were already public, but now they're open, openly licensed as well. And so, this should allow developers to be able to create common programming um, or a common programming layer to support uh, these open drivers and libraries, but with the added benefit of DPU acceleration. So uh, I, I think this will help move DPU uh, or IPU uh, or SmartNIC uh, adoption forward. And uh, it is a, a really smart move on NVIDIA's uh, part and, and, uh, and a good move. Like I said, I don't know if it's quite bold. Um, the, the advancement here is incremental, I think but definitely uh, really cool to see. Something slightly less cool um, was Cloudflare's change management issue uh, recently. Uh, So unlike when you have one of these issues in your own organization, uh, when Cloudflare does it, people notice. Uh, Obviously they have a a big BGP network that serves a lot of content out there. And on Monday, they made a change that was expected to increase the resilience uh, inside their data centers, but instead, it actually removed all of their routes uh, from uh, the internet. So all all their BGP routes were withdrawn and it took about an hour for Cloudflare to figure out what had happened, uh, revert the change, and uh, and allow those prefixes to be reinstalled in the BGP uh, routing table across the internet. From the investigation uh, in the linked article we'll have from the register, it looks like uh, this newer system of Cloudflare's resilience protocols called MCP uh, turned out to be incompatible with the changes they tried to make. Uh, so, Tom, do you have any thoughts here on how
0: someone like Cloudflare uh, could have bungled something like this? <laughs> um, insufficient testing uh, and the fact that, uh, according to the reports, engineers walked changes over the top of each other. I don't know what that means. Someone got tossed under the, 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 B, the bus, which was now the bus gateway protocol, BGP, uh, Instead of bridging gap protocol, if, if you remember that, then uh, more power to you. Um, basically, like you look at this and this is the story of every enterprise that did something that didn't work out the way they wanted it to. They started implementing a change in BGP. Okay, no big deal. Um, and it worked. They, they started the deployments, I think, at like eight o'clock that night. Like everything was working just fine. They, they go to the next site. They go to the next thing. Everything works. Everything works. Two and a half hours into the change, oh, crap. We hit a new data center that did something that did was not expected. And it took them an hour from that point to figure out what caused it and how to revert it. Now, here's the weird thing. You would think that the older data centers are the ones that would be having the problem, right? Um, these flashy new data centers that we've created, the MCP, is they call it the multicolo pop. Um, basically what they're trying to do is they're trying to increase resilience in their network. You'd think that those would be the ones that wouldn't have a problem with the change when in fact, it's the exact opposite. The non-MCP data centers are the ones who were able to take the change with no problem. Uh, I think it's the article says there's like 16 of these MCP data centers that are out there. And as soon as it hit that and replicated through those changes, bam, everything went down. Um, So now, of course, it's panic time because uh, you know what happens when you withdraw all of Cloudflare's routes from the internet? Uh, you can't blame dns for one thing but uh when you consider the number of sites that actually run on cloudflare uh that is a huge problem like it actually affected uh, here us here at gestalt it and tech field day because we are fronted by cloudflare now granted uh, i don't know who's checking our website at midnight um, if you are more power to you because that shows real dedication um, but it meant that you know we were down for a little bit and it's actually a little bit of a cascade effect because you know as that rolled into the next day things like you know zoom were having trouble and a lot of people were blaming other stuff and uh yeah there's a couple of cloud native companies that in the the linked article they're pretty pissed off at at uh, cloudflare right now for you know admittedly they made a change they didn't think was going to break anything and they thought the systems they had in place to um fix the change if something were to go wrong were going to work and they didn't but here's the one thing that i will say about the whole situation that kind of makes me smile it was going to happen to somebody, I'd rather it happen to Cloudflare. You know why? Because we're going to figure out what happened and we're going to figure out what they did to fix it. As opposed to like, you know, when Facebook went dark for a couple of hours, um, we were hearing like reported rumors of them like having to take angle grinders to the cage doors to be able to revert the changes that they made. And we never actually knew exactly what happened. When Cloudflare screws up, it becomes a case study. And that makes me a little bit happy because at least i know we'll figure out how to fix it all right uh chris the latest generation of pcie has been announced we're already up to version 7. now you're probably wondering wait what happened to version 6 because i'm running version 5. well that's because version 7 won't be out until 2025. Um, this is kind of a roadmap announcement um, the important thing is that pcie 7 is expected to double the amount of bandwidth and data transfer rate from the previous generations of PCIe. I believe the the quoted number is something up to like 128 uh, gigabits, uh, you know, it's fast. We'll just call it fast. Uh, now, you probably are wondering, it doubled, huh? That sounds suspiciously like Moore's Law. Well, you would be right because PCI SIG, which is the organization that actually does a lot of the uh, the road mapping for the PCI specification, has stated that they are going to attempt to double the transfer rates and bandwidth of PCIe every three years. Yep, that sounds very Moore's Law-ish. Um, PCIe 5 is the current shipping generation of PCIe. Uh, PCI six is expected sometime soon, with of course PCIe seven to be formally released. Uh, you know, three years or so. Um, Chris, what do you think about this? We, you know, we we've seen these big numbers coming out, and people are already talking about the fact that PCIe seven is going to be super fast. But according to a lot of reports, the amount of things like hard drives that are being sold that are PCIe five compatible, PCIe five native, are actually not as good as people had hoped. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, I don't want to uh, poo poo this too much. But I think one thing to take away is, you know, the way that these um, standards and specifications bodies work is that, um, as you said, right, this has just been announced at this point. So PCIe seven, everything they're saying about it, right, the fact that it should have 128, uh, I think it's giga transfers per second which uh, in a 16 lane configuration would give you 512 gigabytes per second uh, of um, bi-directional data transfer. Uh, They also wanna put in place PAM-4 signaling, which uh, doubles the network's data rate by taking uh, two symbols, combining them into one and using four levels instead. Uh, It's one of the things that's required for 400 gigabit interfaces. Uh, Also, obviously they wanna continue their track record of low latency, high reliability, continuing to improve power efficiency, and then the all important backwards compatibility. But at this point, all of that is uh, goals on, on a piece of paper, right? And so what announced really means is that the work groups have been formed and they're starting to develop the specification. So there's a lot of work left to do to make this actually happen. Uh, of course, they have pulled it off um, from PCIe four to five to then six, they, they did double these, uh, these transfer rates and the IO bandwidth has doubled each time. So there's a lot of uh, evidence that they'll do it again. And uh, you're exactly right, though, Tom, I think, you know, one of the things here is, you know, looking at the lag between uh, specifications being standardized, uh, and then the adoption curve, right? Because right now, uh, PCIe 5 is is the de facto standard, but PCIe 4 is what most folks are, are using, right? Even if you look at uh, Intel's Alder Lake platform, it supports PCIe 5, uh, but 4.0 is still the go-to. Um, and, uh, and you know, I don't know, I, I just built a PC not too long ago. Obviously, that's not quite, uh, you know, top of the art, but uh, everything on those motherboards was PCIe 4. So 5 is trickling out. I know AMD is soon uh, going to release the next-gen Z or Zen 4 processors that'll have PCIe 5 support. So I think as we see more and more boards in both the kind of PC market as well as the server market, having these PCIe 5 uh, interfaces built in, then we'll start to see a little bit more of the, hard drives following behind it. Uh there have been some with some great um uh efficiency so far, or great speed so far. But uh the other thing is, you know, I don't know if this will completely trickle down, right? I think we're getting into the range uh it seems where some of these network and storage speeds are going to be reserved for special uses at least for a long time. And uh, I think even in the press release um, the the They talked about this is really looking at 800 gig ethernet, AI, ML use cases, quantum computing was even mentioned. And so I think PCIe 7 is definitely shooting for, um, you know, really high uh, intensity compute uh, platforms that uh, may not be, you know, standard in everybody's data center and definitely not in everybody's house for several, several years after, uh, if not, you know, maybe even a decade. Something that's actually happening right now, uh, cloud networking startup Alkira announced this week that they're jumping into the market to offer multi-cloud networking to their customers. Uh, The service offering allows you to create networks to connect workloads running in AWS, GCP, or Azure. And unlike some of their competitors, Ariaca, Megaport, and and some others, uh, Alkira is using the public internet as part of the transport instead of their own private offering. This system will automatically configure connections between the different providers to allow you to smoothly move workloads back and forth. Uh, Tom, is this the magic cloud connector we've all been waiting for?
0: Yes, but with a little asterisk next to it, because I have my own thoughts on multi cloud and I've, I've talked about them a little bit uh, on the conversation series here uh, on the Goshalt IT channel. Um, so, what Alkira has done is they've effectively gone in full, full tilt to be the multi or the cloud networking provider. They want to build a system that allows you to do all the networking inside of your cloud provider. And, you know, when you look at all the statistics that you're hearing from people, multi-cloud is a thing. I don't know why, um, using a networking analogy, Multicloud to me is like saying, well, we run OSPF over here on this side of our network, but we don't really trust it. So we run RIP on the other side of our network because it's a different routing protocol. And yeah, I know that translating between the two of them is really difficult. But in the event that something were to happen, we could still run RIP over here because we don't trust OSPF. Yeah. And if that sounded stupid to you, now you know how I feel about Multicloud. Not taking anything away from Alkira because what they're doing is actually making Multicloud easier. Because once you've learned a system, they want to keep you in that system. Look at all of the tools that Amazon has come up with to try to make your life easier. All of these little connectors they've created, all these little services that they offer, everything, DNS, uh, Glacier, you name it. But what they're really doing is they're creating brand loyalty because once you've adopted one of these services, you don't want to leave because you don't find it anywhere else. And one of the difficulties is like, how do you plumb the network between your environments so that when you want to transfer some containers out of AWS into Azure, that it works? Because this ain't like a VMotion. This is a lot more difficult. Well, that's what Alcure is trying to do. It's going to say, you know, if you want to have something running over here and something running over here, we're going to automatically provision all of this stuff. And they're doing it with the public internet. I think that that's another important point. Um, Ariaka does something similar with their private networking as a service, except what they've done is they've built connections between POPs that allow the traffic to basically ride over the backbone. Okay, well, that makes sense. But you're going to be paying for their private network. And that private network effectively could be a point of failure. I'm not saying it is, I'm saying it could be. But what is saying is like, hey, if there's a route to the host, we're going to be able to use it. You know, maybe you could build in some like some latency concerns or something like that. And so what I'm seeing, honestly, is a full demarcation between what I would consider traditional SD-WAN and this new kind of multi-cloud networking. You know, we've talked for years about how SD-WAN kind of started jumping into that mindset of allowing you to do like cloud on-ramp. Well, this is effectively creating cloud connections. And if you can do that, you can also extend that down into an environment where, you know, like a headquarters environment and create like a, you know, I don't know, hybrid cloud or something when you do that, you create this connection that goes back and forth and you get um, the kind of thing that would allow, you know, like uh, an environment to get on the cloud a whole lot easier or optimize data transfers or something like that. That sounds a whole lot like SD-WAN to me. So I think that they're trying to capture that market. And I think it's going to be successful because the organizations that for whatever reason have decided that multi-cloud is their strategy, they're going in on it. I just wonder what's going to happen when people start seeing that multi-cloud may not be the strategy going forward. I hope that that means Alcura is going to be able to kind of create more, I don't know, offerings, more um, uh, pieces to their platform to kind of build out this robust cloud networking solution. I think that they will because they've constantly been adding new technology since they were founded. Um, And if you want to learn a little bit more about that, make sure you check out their presentation at Tech Field Day, uh, Cloud Field Day, actually, this week, which will be on Thursday. If you want more information about that, check out techfieldday.com. I wanted to take a closer look at something um, that's been in the news this week. Uh, Maybe not as much as people might expect, but seeing as how I was involved, sort of, um, I have an interesting perspective on it. Because if you don't know, the last couple of weeks have been really busy with conferences. Um, RSA happened June 6th through the 9th in San Francisco. Cisco Live was June 12th through the 16th in Las Vegas. Around all of that was a whole bunch of other stuff going on. Splunk, Juniper, a bunch of other people were having conferences in San Francisco and Vegas. The general mood of the conferences seemed to be pretty positive, right? Like we're super happy that people are back in person. We're having all these great discussions. It's so good to see all of you. And then reality set in, usually around the time that everybody got home because people started testing positive for COVID and not just one or two people. According to some reports and uh, a wonderful uh, article in the register that tagged RSA as a super spreader event, um, anecdotal evidence suggests that as many as 20% of the people who attended the RSA came down with with COVID. Um, Then some of those people got on an airplane and flew directly to Cisco Live and it just got worse from there. Because according to the reports that Cisco has put out, there were over 16,000 people in Las Vegas for Cisco Live. Anecdotally, from my own research, I'm seeing infection rates that are at that or higher. Now, I was able to make it through Cisco Live without coming down with COVID, which is absolutely astonishing considering the first time that I was exposed to it was the day before the conference started. So somehow, Through all of that, through interacting with over 20 people directly that came down with it, I somehow managed to come out on the other side without getting it. Um, My question then becomes, what's going to happen to in-person conferences during a global pandemic? Because I've already seen a lot of people who have posted on Twitter saying, it was good to see all of you, but it wasn't worth this. I'm not going back while we still have COVID. What's going to happen to in-person conferences? Are we going back to this era of virtual conferences? Are people just going to be kind of like shrugging their shoulders and going YOLO? I mean, Chris, uh, you know, you've been a, a huge part of the in-person conferencing uh, pre-pandemic. I mean, what are your thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, there's obviously multiple layers here. And I think that the event organizers, you know, where where a lot of people tend to maybe cast blame to start with, you know, maybe is not totally deserving uh, I think that, um, you know, there's only so much you can do, and, and there's definitely a big push towards these in person events. A lot of people, whether rightly or wrongly, believe that um, there's unique value in, in getting together in person. Uh, I think, in generally, that's true. And uh, I, I think we're going to continue to do it. I do think that the virtual aspect of events will continue to be important for a very long time because, you know, while you say we are in a pandemic right now, it's very possible that we almost never leave one again, right? I mean, that this could be just the reality of having this many billion people on the planet and being this connected, uh, this easily, where you can easily, you know, drive or fly around the world and 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 just you know connect and and see people, which is great, but definitely has consequences for the viruses and and other bugs that uh, like to travel along with us. So. I really think some of this just comes down to um, social norms and, and what we consider personal hygiene. And, and I don't necessarily mean just you know brushing your teeth and washing your hands and face, which are definitely important, but I really mean mask wearing. If, if you're at a conference with 26,000 people, um, it is a very interesting choice to say, I don't need to wear a mask, uh, especially in these times, but really in any time. And I think that uh, my perspective has is, is changed a little bit. I just, you know, went to a conference um, a few weeks ago in Indonesia where, you know, they still have masks are mandatory. And on the planes flying around Southeast Asia, uh, masks are still mandatory. And in the places where masks are not, quote unquote, mandatory, everyone still wears them. If you're inside with other people, uh, especially, you know, lots of people or people you don't know, uh, a mask is just something you put on. And there is this social norm built around it where you feel awkward if you don't, right? You, you realize really quickly, oh, I don't have my mask on and, and, and you put it on. And, and I think that's a good thing. I think that there is maybe a little bit of our American individualism that, uh, you know, is, is literally dangerous for people in our lives. Uh, if you are one of those 20% and you bring this virus home, your kids get it, maybe your parents, uh, you know, or other family kid gets it. Uh, there's still definitely a lot of people in the world that are at risk uh, from, you know really severe injury or death from these viruses so um maybe just put your mask on i don't know
0: what's a mask i i'm confused what it, what is uh, and, and it, i a little tongue in cheek there but i kid you not like going out there just so everybody knows um and i can't speak to rsa like i've heard reports that vaccinations were encouraged but you either had to show proof of vaccination or proof of a negative test Um, Cisco Live, it was it was required. You could not be anywhere around the event. You couldn't get your badge without it. And like you when you went to check in, they you downloaded clear and clear had like the app to say like, I have uploaded my vaccine card and I'm green. Um, They were handing out test kits like candy. Like I just walked up and swooped like a whole group of them. Uh, A group being like three, I left some for the regular people. But um, it was weird, because nobody was wearing a mask. Well, I say nobody. Very few people were wearing masks, there were people who were wearing them. And I and I actually do want to say, uh, Drew Connery Murray of the Packet Pushers, friend, friend of the show, friend of mine, uh, that dude kept his mask on all the time. He was one of the few people that I know that and it was an N95. And he did come back not having tested positive. At least six other people that were in the room with him during that time did. Um, I did not wear a mask as much as I should have. Mea culpa for that part. Um, but I didn't, which actually leads me to a whole bunch of other questions, but this is the thing kind of that you brought up. Um, the, the theme that I heard from people at Cisco live was, oh my God, it felt so good to be back in person with everybody. It feels like this is the way things should be. I don't know how many of them still feel that same way when they're hacking up a lung and feel like they've run a marathon when they just try to get out of bed every day. Uh, and honestly, my perspective on it probably would have changed had I come down with it. But I still see a huge amount of value in having an in-person conference. I just don't know how we square these things. So I've been telling people for the last six months that Cisco Live is the acid test. And I had forgotten that RSA was the week before. But having these two conferences go off in person is effectively signaling to the rest of the world that you can successfully pull off a conference without causing massive destruction to our public health. But it also means that a lot of people came home sick. Now, thank goodness we have not heard of any deaths. And that says a lot about the state of health healthcare in the U.S. as far as getting a vaccine rolled out and, that, you know, by making vaccines mandatory, you've um, reduced the number of people who were probably kind of at a high risk for severe complications. I personally have not heard of anything more... Um, egregious than feeling like you got hit by a truck but still alive still you know very much functional just in spurts um but like you said it wasn't just the the hygiene aspect of you know like you know wash your damn hands when you go to the bathroom like think about how people interact at a conference think about the show floor now credit to cisco for this the show floor was spread out this year Like you could actually get down the aisles without bumping into people, which is something we have not seen before. And I know that RSA has a problem because, and you've heard me rant about this before, stop having your conferences at Moscone. It's not big enough. Okay, rant over. Um, But you you got lots of people on the floor, lots of elbow room to like bump into people. At Cisco Live, you had a lot more room, but what's the first thing you do when people get loud? Like when there's a lot of stuff going on, you pull in close, right? Like even the act of like, how many times did I walk up and go to shake somebody's hand and we're like, oh, do we do that anymore? Do are we doing fist bump? Are we doing like the demolition man thing? I don't know. Um, but that's just how it is. And I I know for a fact that one person, one of my friends, said that he's almost positive he knows exactly where it came from because one of the people he was talking to feels like they have to be this close to your face when they're talking to you. And if you are a person who projects like I do, if you're a person who spits when you talk which sounds disgusting to think about think about how disgusting it is when you're in person with them like that's a big deal and like you know i know that the cisco team was doing everything they could to keep everything sanitized and and cleaned up as much as possible but as someone pointed out you can take all the precautions in the world but if you go swimming in a petri dish you've just increased your chances significantly so, you know, like you said, what is the value of an in-person conference if you know you're going to get sick? I mean, I'll be, I'll be honest. When I jumped on the airplane to go out there, I expected to come home sick. I expected to be infected at some point, get it, get through it, either get back home having, you know, quarantined myself or whatever. And that actually happened to my friend, Sam Clemens, friend of the show, Sam Clemens from the, uh, contention window podcast. He was the first person I heard that got infected. How quickly did he get infected? He actually didn't even get to go to the conference. He, he went home, he drove home Sunday night, Monday morning, because he couldn't get home any other way. And he wasn't going to spend five days in quarantine in a hotel room. So like, that's how quickly it can hit you. And I just I think that, you know, had I gotten had I gotten infected, like, say, you know, Tuesday during field day, obviously, it would have been a pain in the neck, but I would have been able to survive. But I was ready to take that risk. I was ready to be there at Cisco Live. But people like Ethan Banks, who went, who interacted with people, who came down with it, and he's like, "You know what? I'm done. I'm not going back." That's a fair assessment. But I think that that's something that the conference organizers now have to understand. We need to be prepared for lower numbers. Like the the high water mark for Cisco Live that I've heard is like twenty five thousand, which pales in comparison to like Oracle Open World, which is like what eighty plus sometimes which is like half the population of San Francisco on a good day. Um, But 16,000 was still a lot like 25 to 16 feels like a huge drop off, but 16 compared to like what some of us were expecting, which was like nine or 10 was still like, people were like on Sunday, they're like, Oh, the conference feels a little bit light. And then you turn around and there's like a pile of people coming. You're like, "Uh, maybe not so much, but I, I don't know how you square that. Like, you know, the variants that people are probably getting infected with are the ones that we've been dealing with, like Omicron or uh, Omicron Sharp or whatever we're calling it now. Um, it's, it's something we're going to have to analyze and invest with. And maybe the answer is we go back to doing these small boutique conferences, which are like 100, 200 people more often. Yeah. Okay. It's not the grand spectacle of Chuck Robbins on stage making huge announcements about Meraki and Cisco and all this other stuff. But maybe it's the way we have to do things in order to keep people safe. Like, I I don't have a good answer. And and I don't want to be the person running the conference. I run my own conference, Tech Field Day. We we have a, a limited blast radius of several dozen people on a good day. And still I worry about it. I 16,000 is a lot. All right. Well, um, speaking of conferences, we actually have... About a few things coming up that are kind of exciting uh, that I wanted to talk about. The first one that's happening right now, as a matter of fact, uh, Stephen Foskett is actually in California with a group of Cloud Field Day delegates talking about all the cool things that are going on. If you want to learn more about that, go to techfieldday.com. That's happening today through Friday, including the Alcura presentation that we mentioned, which is on Thursday. Uh, next week is HPE Discover back in Vegas. So good luck to everybody that's headed to Discover. I hope that things work out well for you. Um, you're going to hear some exciting news there. And then uh, the next time that you're going to see me in front of a Field Day camera is going to be in July the 13th through the 15th for Mobility Field Day. Uh, big lineup of presenters, great lineup of delegates. Again, techfieldday.com if you want to check that out. Mr. Gunderman, uh, what have you got going on that people should definitely be looking at?
1: Yeah, everything can be found uh, on uh, chrisgrundeman.com or uh, reach out and chat with me uh, at chrisgrundeman on Twitter.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, read some of Chris's stuff. He's got some great analysis, um, some funny things like I, I read Chris's stuff and, and I chuckle quite a- quite often. Um, so we, we appreciate you having, uh, being a part of the show today, uh, filling in for Steven while his head is in the clouds. And you can quote me on that. Um, and if you are a fan of the rundown, like my friend uh, Craig Waters at Pure Storage, who stopped me at Cisco Live to tell me that he loved it. Uh, by the way, it's also National Kissing Day, Craig, but I'm not going to kiss you, even though uh, you love the, sto- the show. Um, you can check us out every Wednesday around 1230 Eastern Time on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Gestalt IT Video. You can also subscribe to your favorite podcast feed uh, application. I promise you that that unlike Hardcore History, we try to keep the episodes right under four hours every time. Um, you can also check out our Facebook page. at IT. You can check out our uh, LinkedIn page. We have a lot of great stuff over there. Um, we're going to spend the next week coming up with great stories talking about some of the stuff that we're seeing. Hopefully, we're not going to have any more big COVID infection stories, um, maybe an acquisition or two, you know how things go in the rundown. Um, but we're going to be back with more great information uh, that you're going to want to pay attention to. And as always, if you have a story that you'd like us to cover on the rundown, make sure you tweet at GesholtzIT, use the hashtag rundown. Uh, Corey or myself or Steven will see it. We'll put it in the the show lineup. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about something really cool, like a brand new manufacturing process for chips, or um, we'll make fun of Oracle because let's face it, that's what I like to do. Uh, but for Tom Hollingsworth, Chris Grenham, and Stephen Foskett, the rest of our Gestalt IT community, thank you very much for tuning in this week. We hope you have an amazing day, and we will see you next Wednesday.